0: 18 plus. Welcome, welcome. One and all, it's Eric Erickson here on News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. We got to hit the ground running here because I just got off the phone with the White House. Uh, I was given a background briefing by senior White House officials on the president's immigration plan, and I want to relay that plan to you, the listeners. It was kind of funny how these things work. I mean, literally get the invitation uh, really, right before the conference call happened, so y- you don't have a bunch of uh, people flooding the zone who shouldn't be on the call. Now, uh, one of the, they're also, by the way, clarifying something the president said last night. They clarified it earlier today, and uh, then not so much. Um, so, uh, here's what we know yesterday, the president called reporters into the White House. Uh, talked to them and said that he wanted to give uh, DACA recipients citizenship. They would get citizenship uh, between 10 and 12 years uh, later. And then the White House subsequently clarified this and said that uh, the big deal here is that it would only amount to about 690-some-odd thousand people because they were only going to give citizenship to the DACA recipients who actually applied for DACA. Remember, you had to actually apply for DACA. You weren't just automatically granted it. You You had to get it. You had to take affirmative steps to get it. And a lot of illegal immigrants, after Donald Trump got elected, they didn't do it while the program was still in place because they were afraid that would just flag them for deportation. So they did not do that. Some didn't do it when Barack Obama was president as well. So the White House uh, pre- president first saying citizenship for DACA, and then saying, uh, "Well, we're only going to give it to people who already applied." Well, I just got off the phone with the White House, with senior White House officials, as they wanted to be described on background, talking about the White House plans. Um, it w- went into discussion on this, and a, the it's one point eight million now. Um, the reason it's one point eight million is because, and by the way, before I, before I get any hostile information here, um, things are on the record, on background, or off the record. If they're on on the record, you attach a name to the individual. If they're on background, say you're, you're getting the information uh, from sources in the White House. Uh, there are no names attached to it, but you know where it came from. If it's off the record, you don't talk about it. Um, That's it. So on the record, off the record, on background. Uh, The call was on background. uh, So people would know what's coming. Sources from within the White House won't tell you who I talked to. And what they're saying is the president will go for citizenship for 1.8 million DACA recipients. That is the people who did qualify and register for it and the people who were eligible but didn't. They will also expand the window from uh, when Barack Obama uh, did it. They will expand it from that period all the way through to March when the program expires, if I understood it right. It, it, there will be a period of time from when Trump was president. It will also um, apply. There are four pillars, though, and that's one of them. Uh, the other three for the White House's plans on immigration to be announced on Monday. So what are the other pillars um, for the White House? Well, uh, they also want border security. They want a $25 million trust fund uh, that will grow over time to ensure um, the border is secure. $25 million. I It may have been billion, but he said million, so he might have misspoken um technology they're not going to do a complete border wall it's not going to be physical all the way across uh there will be in some areas they use high technology to ensure that the border is secure and they also want northern border security they they want they called it historic uh northern border security with canada not just mexico they want to secure that border as well. Um, They also want to deal with personnel deficiencies uh, in uh, immigration and naturalization services. They want to deal with um, personnel deficiencies along the border, customs agents, uh, border agents and whatnot. They want a bump in spending to be able to hire more people. And they also want to close loopholes. There are a number of loopholes that were highlighted. Um, For example, illegal immigrants who are from countries nearest us uh, and bordering us are dealt with differently from those far away. Those far away tend to be removed from this country quicker than those who are near us. Uh, They want the same treatment, rapid uh, deportation. They don't want a delay in the process. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, they also want to do changes to chain migration. Uh, they want to protect the nuclear family. So a family will be able to come over with a parents and minor children or unwed young adult children. It appears, uh, I got a subsequent clarification. I forgot off the call about that part, but no extended families. Now they do say that they're going to make that, uh, proact- proscriptive, not, um, retroactive, So if you are coming under chain migration and your application is already pending, then you'll still have your application considered through chain migration, bringing your full family over. Uh, From here on out, though, it's just parents with their unmarried children. They also want to end the visa lottery. Um, The visa lottery uh, right now goes randomly to people around the world um, based on different graphics and other issues. Um, According to the White House on background, uh, they want to do... Uh, in the visa lottery and take those eligible spots and apply them to high-skilled laborers who want to come into the country. Uh, and they believe that that will then terminate the visa lottery program, uh, that those spots will all be taken by high-skilled people. Um, that is what the White House is saying. $1.8 million is uh, their immigration position for citizenship for DACA. Uh, in fact, Jamie Dupree, hang on a second. Uh, as I'm telling you guys, this, he's sending me an email. He says 1.8 million. This place is going to explode. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, th- there will be some Republicans who decide it is too much and there will be some who decide it's not enough. And then you couple this with, they want uh, historic border security, uh, with Canada, well, not that we have a big border security issue with Canada, but they do. Now, I, let me review here real quick. There are four pillars. Uh, from the White House, and I let me go through them with you real quick so you understand. The president is willing to compromise on DACA and give citizenship to 1.8 million DACA-eligible people. They will adjust the window uh, so that even people who became DACA-eligible while he, Trump became president will qualify in there, he says, 1.8 million, as opposed to the 640,000 or 690,000 people originally thought. Uh, there will be border security Uh, Upgrades to the border, a physical wall but not completely across the border, some technology base, increases in border personnel, increases in customs personnel, uh, upgraded border security for Canada, an end to chain migration, an end to the visa lottery, Uh, and, um, those are the big selling points from the white house on immigration. That's their plan. They will make it formal on Monday. Again, I, I mean, literally if I sound a little harried and rushed here, I literally got off the phone and ran in here to do the show. Um, but talking on background with folks in the white house, outlining their plan for a number of conservative leaders of what it would look like. And now you're some of the very first people in the entire country to know about it. It is Eric Eurickson here. Um, the phone number, I guess I should give it to you. 404 750 WSB Talk. Y'all, um, the lines are completely full. You're not going to be able to get through right now, by the way. <laughs> um, I, I want to... We run the ad, but I want to tell you about it anyway. Because if you want to come... You, you know, when I wrote Before You Wake... One of the chapters in the book talks about the need to travel, particularly traveling abroad. Um, It it doesn't have to be comfortable. It can be very cheap to travel abroad. Listen to Clark Howard. He gives you great deals. Um, But I feel very strongly, particularly in our situation, um, with Christy's health and all, that we need to travel with our kids. We need our kids to see the sights. Now, me personally, I haven't seen this country. I have been all over the world in my life. I have been to more than two dozen countries, uh, and I haven't been to that many states. I I haven't seen Yellowstone. I haven't seen Mount Rushmore. I haven't seen um, Glacier National Park. I've never been to Alaska. I've never been to Hawaii. uh, All of those things, and I do want to see those things. But we're going on a cruise this summer, and we decided, Christy and I did, to do a listener cruise and partnering with, with the travel store so you guys can get a great deal on this. And I have to admit up front um, that I was like, wow, this is, this is kind of pricey. And every single person I have encountered who regularly takes cruises tells me, actually, no, this is This is not pricey. This is a a great summer vacation when you consider that business class airfare is included. Um, All your drinks and meals on the ship are included. Your room service, there's no extra charge for room service and room dining. Uh, They have a a mini fridge in the room that's going to get refilled with your beverages of choice every day at no extra charge. All of these things, apparently this is an extremely reasonable cruise. Uh, And we're going from like Monte Carlo to Barcelona Via Florence and Rome and Majorca and Ibiza and Corsica, all, all places. I mean, these are places I grew up as as a kid traveling in Europe and stuff, uh, having encountered uh, not all. Of, I haven't been to all of these places, but I mean, the the Spanish coast, Italy, the like. Um, these are beautiful places, and I am so excited to be able to take my kids to see these places abroad, to get them passports and go through this. Um, and I think every family, if you can, you should. And I realize not everyone can. Not everyone has the money to do it. But you should travel with your family and not just go to Disney World. Go to national parks and stuff. I think it it, it builds memories with your family. And Christy's got her cancer screening next week uh, her oncology appointment and her CT scan so prayers appreciated that we get good news there. Um, but it, I mean as we focus on this stuff we really 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 do care about memory building with our kids and I hope you will whether you can come or not but if you if you can this summer if you can swing it uh, come with us it's July 2nd it's a week uh, in Europe I think it'll be awesome. Um, if you want more information, text the word CRUISE to 345345, and I'll send you back a link. But I'm really excited by this. We're also going to be doing a resurgent conference in Austin, Texas in August. I am excited by that as well. Um, I'll have more information on that to come. When we come back, we got to pivot uh, to the president and a postmodern world. I've always kind of struggled with what postmodernism really means, and now we're seeing it. And we, sh- I should break this down for you when we come back of what we're seeing and the fallout from it. 39 after the hour, Eric Erickson here. By the way, you can get my daily email and a link to the podcast uh, by texting the word show to 444-999. I'm big into that text message system. I really like it. Um, it you know, so I'm working now. By the way, it, it, this actually is serious news here. Uh, I have transferred from Reformed Theological Seminary to Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, moving into PhD work. I am working on a PhD in public theology, and one of the components of this is being able to preach. And so if your church uh, I don't, you know, I charge a speaking fee for a lot of groups, not all groups, but for churches, I never do. Um, you need a fill in pastor or, or a guest speaker at church. I am totally willing to do that. Um, and now kind of am obligated to with, with class requirements and whatnot. So there you go. Um, my buddy Brandon will be texting in any moment. <laughs> I gotta follow up. Um, so, Postmodernism and I, I bring up the I doing PhD in public theology because postmodernism. I'm reading a book uh, called Living at the Crossroads on Worldview, having to think about worldview. And I have always struggled uh, with postmodernism. I mean, y'all, I've been doing my master's work. I've got a Juris Doctorate. I've got a a double major in Political Science and History with a minor in English uh, with a B.A. I'm not a dumb person. I'm not the brightest person out there, but I'm I'm definitely not a dumb person. And for years, the whole idea and concept of postmodernism, what exactly does it mean? I mean, I, I get the moral relativism aspect of it. Everything is relative. Um, and, and nowadays people talk about how they feel instead of uh, what they think. Uh, I've got to correct myself sometimes. It's becoming so uh, common in the vernacular to say, I feel that as opposed to I think, and I want to know what you think, not what you feel. But in a postmodern society, it is our feelings that triumph, not our thoughts. Um, illogic and irrationality triumph over reason and logic. And truth becomes very relative and tribal. It's no longer the truth. It is your truth. And your truth may not be the truth, but the presupposition, presupposition in postmodernism is that you can't really know the truth. And it becomes harder, particularly, I mean, just just let, let me use this example. And you're going to have to bear with me here on this example for just a minute, but... One of the things that Christians say about Scripture and why why the New Testament story must be true, the gospel story must be true, is because no one would have conjured up a story like that. It, it had to be true. Because, for example, just take the angels appearing first to the shepherds in the gospel accounts. The shepherds were considered unreliable witnesses. Their testimony was not acceptable in court. Um, shepherds were even more devalued than women in a very patriarchal society. Shepherds were considered the thieves. They were what you blamed everything on. So for the angels to appear to the shepherds who no one thought were reliable, and that's how they start the account, no one would have written an account like that to be considered true unless it really happened uh, because it was so preposterous. And that is a presuppositional argument there, a, a foundational argument for why this must be true. Now, The very same people who will use that argument and that line of defense for it must be true will look at the Stormy Daniels story that years ago she gave a, a long interview and one of the bizarre things she said was that Donald Trump hated sharks. He wouldn't give money to shark charities. There was nothing in the public record anywhere on that, and that was one of the things she said in the interview. And about two years after that interview was given, Donald Trump on Twitter said that uh, he hated sharks. Uh, He wouldn't support shark charities because they were terrible creatures. Now, you would look at that evidence, and then you'd look at the $130,000 payment, which has been confirmed. You would look at the $130,000 payment from the Trump campaign back to the Trump organization that initially paid the $130,000, and you would say, it's so implausible, it's got to be true. But the very same people who would say that about angels, a period of shepherds, would say, nope, nope, this hasn't been proven in a court of law. And because it hasn't been proven in a court of law, it can't be true. It did not happen. There's no way. That is postmodern America. Truth is relative. You can only have pragmatic knowledge. If you haven't seen it and felt it yourself, not thought it, but felt it yourself, there's no way it can be true. It's all an emotional response to a tribe. Uh, There's no longer an interconnectedness, a great interconnectedness. It's a small interconnectedness. That is postmodern America. So the reason I bring up the postmodernism issue and and figuring this stuff out in addition to now working on the, the PhD is now i want to make a partisan issue towards the Democrats as opposed to Stormy Daniels and evangelical denial, is the very same people who are now telling us we must applaud the FBI and defend the integrity of that institution were just a year ago telling us that James Comey and the FBI threw the election to Donald Trump. And while they were telling us that James Comey and the FBI threw the election to Donald Trump, they were, are also telling us that Russia stole the election. Uh, two of them, and, and they package them as mutually exclusive things that are both true either it was James Comey who helped Trump or it was the Russians who helped Trump. Rarely do you see two people connect the two arguments and say it was the combination of the two, which by the way I don't believe is true at all. I think Hillary Clinton was a terrible candidate and the left can't admit that Um, but this is what you're seeing here and now suddenly the very same people who a year ago were telling us the FBI needed to be burned to the ground because of throwing the election to Trump are telling us you can't dare cast dispersions on any agent at the FBI. How dare you. There's no intellectual consistency in post-modern America. Everything is relative, and so everything is inconsistent. The people who believe A can believe B, which is diametrically opposed to A, and they don't believe them at the same time. They believe them in situational ethics. They believe them as situations change. There should be a real truth out there. And I I think those of us in commentary and talk radio, although many are are descending into tribe on both sides, I I think we owe ourselves an obligation and we owe you an obligation uh, as we're trying to keep you company on your ride home or to work or in the office or wherever you may be to try to tell you the truth. And it may be different from what you're hearing elsewhere. Uh, but try to tell you the truth as opposed to my truth or your truth or even what you want to hear. I can't tell you the number of people who get mad at me because I'm telling them what I think to be true. And I'm doing my best trying to figure out what actually is true and not just my truth. And people get mad about it. But we got an obligation here. These It is worth pointing out all of the people in high dungeons over Republicans attacking the FBI are the same people who a year ago were attacking the FBI saying they handed the election to Donald Trump. Okay, y'all, I feel a little more comfortable giving you information. There has been no public announcement yet, um, but I feel like I can share a little bit with you guys here. Um, So I am teaming up with uh, my friend, Zach Dasher, who you guys know as Phil Robertson's nephew. Uh, from Duck Dynasty. Um, Zach now manages a lot of what uh, Phil does, travels with him around the country and whatnot. Uh, So Zach and I are getting together with CRTV and we're going to do a video series about faith and family in the 21st century? How do you navigate your family through social media in the 21st century, through the culture war, um, through just a daily work ethic and school and a society hostile to your values? We're we're doing this. Uh, It's going to happen. I am very excited about it. Um, And if you want to, here's the deal though. We got to get to 2000 subscribers uh, to make it work. And so I I will be the host of it. We're going to be interviewing people. We've we want to interview Louis Giglio. Uh, we have I, my producer is reaching out to the to his church. Uh, Tim Keller as well. Nancy Piercy, uh, Nancy Guthrie, uh, Sean McDowell, who some of you know, um, fascinating work on dads and sons and and pornography and things like that. I'm really excited to do this. Um, it's been on my heart for a long time. Y'all have been so encouraging about it. Uh, So if you're interested, text the word FAITH to 345-345. Uh, There will be information upcoming. And this all, you know, it's always one of the things that's always amazed me really is this interaction in my career that was totally not by plan, providential, if you will. Um, where I'm, I'm doing a radio show that relates well to a website that relates well to a, a TV presence that relates well to social media that relates well to families of faith. Many of you, I, I know because you ambush me at Chick-fil-A or at Linux mall or wherever you see me at a restaurant I was at the other night, uh, and just say, you know, it, it seems like everybody's lost their mind. Thank you for not losing your mind. Uh, and I try not to lose. I, occasionally I lose my mind, but I try not to. And so I'm really excited by this project, uh, because so many people come up to me and, and ask me, what should I do with my kids or whatnot? And I can recommend certain things, but even I don't have all these answers, but I know people who do like Louis Giglio or Tim Keller or Russell Moore or John Piper, or, uh, whoever. Um, and so I'm excited to be able to sit down and have, Uh, long uninterrupted conversations with them about these things and be able to relay that information to you. I'm excited by it. Now, when we come back, we got to switch gears to the FBI investigation. We have the 50,000 emails. We have more context for what actually happened. uh, And we got some calls for deeper investigation. We'll get into all of that and a lot more when we come back right here on WSB. Good evening, nine after the hour, Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750, the nation's most listened to news talk station. Our ratings are awesome and that's all because of you. Thank you. The phone number 404 872 800 WSB Talk. Well, there is new news. We have the emails, the 50,000 disappeared emails that the FBI said was because of a bug, a system-wide IT bug on Samsung phones, which by the way it actually was a legitimate bug. Uh, they've been able to recover the missing text messages. Why? They actually went and sought out the physical devices from which the phones were, which the text messages were sent. They found the phones, they've got the phones, they've got the text messages now. The FBI in the process of sorting through the actual missing text messages that could perhaps put some things in context. However, that being said... Y'all, it looks like um, some people have egg on their face. And to get into the egg on their face, I need to start and be repetitive with something I said yesterday. I don't put it past certain partisan members of the Federal Bureau of Investigation having partisan ill intent against the President of the United States. As Trey Gowdy said on Fox News, you're allowed to be a partisan at the FBI. You're just not allowed to act on your partisanship in your duty at the FBI. And I think that's true. But I also would point people to Lois Lerner and the IRS. No one told Lois Lerner and the IRS to obstruct Tea Party groups. No one told Lois Lerner to single out groups that describe themselves as Tea Party groups and hold up their tax-exempt status. No one told her to hold up the processing of these applications. No one told her to do any of that, whether it's a 501c3 or a 501c4 or a 527 organization. No one told Lois Lerner to hold up that information. No one told Lois Lerner to obstruct those organizations. She just knew she could get away with it. She was a partisan, and the Obama administration did a very, very good job of putting partisans in leadership roles in nonpartisan agencies so thy will be done, Obamasiah. And people like to ignore this, but the fact is the Obama administration, in its pursuit of never letting crisis go to waste, embedded partisan agents within nonpartisan organizations to ensure that the will of Obama-saya be done. And we shouldn't dance around that. And the fact of the matter is that I'm sure those people were placed at the FBI, And I'm sure there were agents who could feel emboldened. And I am sure it is a very dangerous thing, a very dangerous thing, if there are agents at the FBI who are motivated by partisanship. And all of us, and I don't care who you are, I don't care what your partisanship is, I don't care what your ideology is, all of us should be concerned if anyone at the FBI is operating, abusing their power or using their power For partisan machinations, we should all be concerned about that. But did it happen? Some people are going to have egg on their face. So about that egg, we now know that there's no secret society. Ron Johnson, in fact, the senator from Wisconsin, made that claim the other day with Brett Baer. In fact, let me play you this audio. I've still got it from playing it yesterday. What this is all about is further evidence of corruption, more than bias, but corruption at the highest levels of the FBI and that secret society. We, we, have, we have an informant that's talking about a, a group that were holding secret meetings off-site. There are, there's so much smoke here, there's so much suspicion. Let's, let's stop there. A secret society, the, a secret meetings off-site of the Justice Department? Correct. Re- and you have an informant saying that? Yes. Is there anything more about that? No, we have to dig into it. So he's got an informant, a, an FBI informant, telling them of off-campus meetings of a secret society after the election. And we have the page struck, a text message exchange of a, a secret society. It turns out Ron Johnson now says he heard... There was an informant. No one has actually talked to him or his committee. Um, He he believes there is one. uh, And he is aware there has been conversation about a secret society that was not meeting off campus but off calendar. Well, now it turns out that Schrock and Page had an email exchange the day after the election. Uh, She could not get in to see his calendar these are the two who apparently were having an affair and and made a reference of getting together for a secret society. Uh, it, it appears that it was going to be an off-calendar off connection between the two people, apparently, in a relationship. It, it didn't have anything to do with Donald Trump, as far as we know. Now, we will have the other 50,000 emails um, or text messages. I keep saying emails, but text messages, and maybe we can put some more light on this. But thus far... I just, there remains a question in light of everything we now know. struck the, the troublemaker, apparently he, in text messages, said he didn't want to be on the Mueller team because he didn't think anything would come of it. There was no there there. That Donald Trump did nothing wrong. This is him. This is him. The man who supposedly had a conspiracy uh, is saying, and by the way, can we just stop here and, and can I just ask, if you've got these two... FBI agents working with Andrew McCabe, who, by the way, we now know today how he voted. Andrew McCabe, whose wife ran as a Democrat in Virginia and and got money from Terry McAuliffe and the Clinton machine, we now know Andrew McCabe has voted in Republican primaries in Virginia. He's a Republican. Yep. We know that today. Jamie Dupree forwarded me the information. Um, So... Um why did these people who were engaged in a cons- elaborate conspiracy to bring down Trump in time to the Russians then not want to get on the Mueller team so they could one cover their tracks from the conspiracy and two um make sure that Donald Trump got indicted when instead they're telling you trading messages back and forth that there's no there there it's a waste of time why do it um other than being compelled by superiors to help out um Y'all, this isn't starting to add up as a grand conspiracy. Here, though, pay attention to this, those of you who haven't tuned out yet because you're angry at me and you're rushing to, rushing to Facebook to complain. There is a shock angle here that needs to be paid attention to. It does look like he was sympathetic to Hillary Clinton and gave Huma Abedin a pass. It does look like the people who worked for Hillary Clinton on her campaign, he was willing to go very light on them and willing as it was to help do damage control on Hillary Clinton because he was convinced of her innocence, and that itself may have been motivated by partisan concerns. So the issue here isn't that these people participated in an elaborate conspiracy to make it look like Donald Trump collaborated with the Russians. The conspiracy is no conspiracy. It looks like he, individually, went very, very light on the Clinton camp team in the email investigation because he was sympathetic to Clinton. And that in and of itself is scandalous. I want to circle back, if you'll allow me, to the first hour and uh, my phone call with White House folks about immigration, because now that I've had more time to process it over the last hour or so, uh, I got some more thoughts on this. You know, this gets us back to the, the whole postmodern conversation uh, from earlier and on the president's base exploding with word that the president will give citizenship to DACA recipients. Now, you know, I am I, I realized I'm to the left of a number of you on this particular issue. I don't support giving citizenship to the parents of DACA recipients. But I do support citizenship for DACA recipients if they've kept their nose clean while they've been here, largely because it's their the, the only country they've really known in many cases. Uh, I, and I know many of you disagree with that, and, and that's a perfectly valid policy position. Um, the White House looks like they're they're um, having to go with it on, in my position here, which will upset many of you. Uh, and it is funny to see people now outraged, saying the president has betrayed them. Y'all, this is what I was pointing out during the election election. Um, Many of you said that the president's personal life was private and separate from his abilities to be president. And I kept saying, no, Um, you cannot be surprised on a person cheating on you when he's cheated on three different wives with multiple people and both bragged about it and lied about it concurrently. You can't be surprised when the president then cheats on you. He rode the escalator. He said that we were going to round up all the illegals and throw them out of the country. And by the way, they've been doing a very good job of it. Uh, That there would never be citizenship for these people, and yet now all of a sudden he's going to give citizenship to these people. Uh, He's willing to give DACA recipients uh, citizenship, and many of you feel betrayed. And again, it's like the Stormy Daniels thing. I was pointing out to people earlier today that it it, uh, is appalling to me um, that people are totally willing to turn a blind eye to his affair with a porn star while his wife has given birth to their new child, uh, and yet they're angry about this. And people saying, well, either that, that didn't happen, um, pay no attention to the evidence because there is none according to them, despite all the evidence, uh, or it, that was a personal private matter. This is public and affects everyone. Well, a, a, the the best indicator of a leader's future performance is his past acts of character and repeatedly committing adultery on multiple wives uh, and lying about it and bragging about it all is a pretty good indication. You're the next one who's going to uh, be betrayed. I guess we're all cucks now. Um, or at least all of you who thought that he really would throw all the DACA recipients out. Uh, this is a pretty big reversal from the president to give 1.8 million DACA recipients, um, and, and not build a full physical wall all the way across the country. So there you have it. Um, I'm just, wow. My goodness. Personal news now. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here, uh, 39 after the hour. So, um, um, I'm not looking at my clock because it's frozen. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Computers. Um, I got personal news that I I wanted. I've saved it for the end. Uh, Today is my last day at Fox. I have been at Fox News for five years, and I have been very, very fortunate to be there. Uh, I met with Roger Ailes personally. When he was hiring me and one of the things he told me, so Roger Ailes used to take people to Patsy's, which is a great Italian restaurant. I think it's on 58th uh, Street in New York, just down a couple blocks from Central Park. Uh, Actually, when I first started going to New York, Rush used to tell me uh, to go eat at Patsy's, that they would treat me right. And it's a great family restaurant. And Roger had two tables that he would sit at one in the front of the restaurant, one in the back of the restaurant. If he wanted people to see him, he'd sit in the front. If he didn't, they had a secluded table in the back for him. We sat at the back table, uh, which was how I knew this wasn't just some sort of song and dance show. And he told me he did not like that there was anyone saying anything nice about Fox on CNN, which I had defended Fox a number of times throughout the years on CNN when I was there and He said, if I was going to defend Fox, he wanted me to do it at Fox. He wanted no defense of Fox on these other networks because he wanted them alienated from conservatives, uh, conservatives thinking no one would be there to defend them. And whether you like that or not, whether you think it's – Sneaky or not, it's a pretty good business decision when you're trying to establish yourself as a brand of trust among conservatives. And he spent a lot of time doing that. He's a very interesting person. We did not have a ton of interactions at Fox. Um, one of the more interesting ones was in 2014. So I was supporting Matt Bevan against Mitch McConnell back in the 2014 race. And Roger made it very clear to me that Elaine Chow, Mitch McConnell's wife, was on the board of News Corp. He had helped Mitch McConnell in his campaign the first time. They were friends, and I could not be on TV if I was going to not support McConnell uh, because he was tired of them complaining about me. And I refused to back down on talking about um, about Matt Bevin and supporting Matt Bevin, so I had to be excluded from the network for a while. And I'll never forget, after the primary was over, I, on the day of the election, the primary it was obvious McConnell was going to win and win big, I wrote him a check, uh, made it public that I had given him a donation, said the conservatives needed to come together to beat Allison What's-Her-Name, uh, who was running against him in Kentucky, and we needed to unite now to beat the Democrats. got a lot of flack from conservatives, uh, none of whom knew that I had been completely blackballed from being able to get on TV as a result of uh, not supporting McConnell. And uh, yeah, I hadn't talked about it until now, as a matter of fact, and... Roger actually called me. Uh one of the very few times he ever called me and he, he really lambasted certain people who were willing to sell out their views to get on TV. And he wanted me to know how very he was very sorry he had to do that. Um he was just tired of them, I won't use the language he used, but just staying on his backside uh constantly making his life miserable and that he was really really impressed and appreciative that I would not sell out my values just for airtime. And there were not a lot of people in media who would do that. He he was very kind. And then when I had my health struggle in 2016 and Christy uh, was diagnosed with lung cancer, he reached out again and made sure I knew that uh, I would get a paycheck, whether I could work or could not work. Um, I should not worry about it. Uh, I needed to take care of myself and my wife and my family and get well. And so I very much appreciated it. And I am well now. And I am able to do things and I am ready to leave Fox. I don't fit it. I never really fit in there, um, but I really don't fit in now. They, they've made a conscious decision to go very pro-Trump. And so I, I need to move on. Um, they didn't want to have me back either. Um, and I can say this honestly and sincerely, I told them I didn't want to come back. And only after that, did they tell me they didn't really want to keep me anyway. So I don't feel like I was fired. It's not, not a, you can't fire me. I quit sort of situation. I told them first. Um, but there you have it. Uh, and now I actually have more media invites. In the next month that I think I've had in the last year at Fox from various networks. You know, I, I will say a lot of my friends have told me it was a bad career move for me to go to Fox. They were afraid that um, Roger was hiring me to keep me off air. And in fact, he, he, he essentially was and all but admitted that uh, over time and beyond the McConnell thing. Um, but it was actually, for personal reasons, it was a good, good um, move, providential, if you will, because I know, I knew then and I know now, my long-term careers in radio, the ratings of this program are very good, um, very, very good. Uh, and I, I know as much as the critics say, it, it's, uh, I'm just filler between news and traffic. Um, no, actually, I mean, we, we do a good enough job to know that uh, I have good ratings myself here on this program. And I'm very thankful to the loyalty of listeners. And when I was at CNN, I lived in constant fear of left-wing riots over me. If I said the sky was blue, people protested. And some of the executives at CNN were squeamish. And I was trying to find my voice in talk radio, balancing entertainment with bombast, realizing that sometimes you can be humorous and entertaining without being a complete brain, biblical donkey uh trying to find that balance and moving to Fox allowed me to find that balance find my own voice on radio without living in constant fear of being fired it was a very good decision to move to Fox even though I went from literally being on three times a week on CNN uh to sometimes not being on in a full month at Fox um and it, it was worth it. And in fact, even though I'm no longer officially a contributor at Fox, I'll be on in the morning on Fox Business at 5 a.m. Uh, so it, it was a good move. And now that I have found my voice on radio and feel established and my health is better and my lungs are good and I can go up a flight of stairs without huffing and puffing and I'm moving on to work on a PhD in theology, it's time for me to leave Fox and go now to places actually want me and don't just want to pay me not to be on places. So I've been very, very blessed and have no regrets in doing it. There's a story. It happened uh, right before we came on air, and I didn't have a lot of time. Um, but I want to note um, that there is a journalist out there, and I use air quotes even here in studio. Um, his name is Askia Muhammad. He withheld a picture of Barack Obama meeting with Louis Farrakhan at a Congressional Black Caucus meeting because he was afraid it could impact negatively Barack Obama's political career. This is a reporter who did this. You know, 60 Minutes withheld an interview with Barack Obama um, where he refused to call the Benghazi attack an act of terrorism, uh, contrary to what he said in the 2012 debate. Let's not forget the media is biased. I may have qualms and reservations with things on the right these days, but let's not forget the media tends to be overwhelmingly biased and lean left in their presuppositions and in the way they couch stories. Um, There is a bias conservatives work against. Um, I would say, though, that we shouldn't be raging. We should be laughing, Uh, be happy warriors about this stuff. Um, People tend to not... A long-term move towards anger, uh, towards angry candidates, but there is totally a bias. Totally a bias. This journalist is is someone who stacked, tried to stack the deck for Barack Obama, tried to protect the precious, and that's what so many journalists still do. They try to protect the precious, which is why we're it's going to be years before we get an honest assessment of Barack Obama's terrible legacy, uh, both abroad and at home, and his divisiveness and his uh, terrible foreign policy. Uh, we should just be reminded of that now. I got to get out of here, Uh, reason being I am taking my daughter to the father-daughter dance, and we got to go late because of work, Um, but we're going nonetheless. So you guys have a great night, and I will see you guys tomorrow.